Happy Thirsty Thursday, lovelies. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I'm going to keep this intro really short and sweet. Today, I have an amazing guest on the show. Her name is Rachel Overvall. She is so brilliant and so intelligent, and I had such a great time interviewing her. She is a somatic, holistic sexual reclamation coach, as well as a best-selling author. She wrote a memoir about growing up in a religious household and environment, and she was also homeschooled, and that's a lot to go through, and she wrote a memoir about the religious trauma that kind of happened and healing from it, and she has so much amazing things to say, and I hope that you really enjoy this conversation with her as much as I enjoyed having it. So without further ado, I'm going to let you guys dive in, and I hope that you enjoy it. Rachel Overfall, everybody. Oh my god, she's such a slut, but Ellie Ray, all she does is talk about sex. <sighs> Thank you so much for being here. This is Rachel yeah. Overfall. She's a best-selling author of Finding Feminism, and she is a sexual reclamation coach. Um, is there anything you would like to introduce about yourself or tell people before we get started? Um, no, I think that all the questions that we have are going to be a really great unfolding of the rest of my work, and I'd like to just go with it organically that way. Awesome. That sounds great. I really kind of want to start with what you do, um, somatic healing. If you could kind of talk about just the definition, like what is it a little bit for people um, and what it looks like just so yeah. that we're all on the same page. So somatic-based healing is really this, the foundation of it is based in the fact that the body holds our trauma and our stories and that traditional modes of therapy, talk therapy, right? We're fixing, quote unquote, you don't like that word, but that's what a lot of people will use. We're fixing or healing our brain, right? But so much of that is completely disassociated from our body. And so that's why when so many people do use traditional therapy, especially for trauma, they're in traditional therapy for 10 plus years, and they maybe make like one baby step forward, right? And it's because the body is not involved. So somatic therapy is really this, this foundation that like the body has to be involved in your healing. If you're not incorporating the body, there's no actual healing that can take place long-term longevity, right? Deep, the deep healing that we want. And so somatics will use different practitioners use different methods. Since I'm like sex and intimacy based, a lot of the stuff I do will rely on breathing and then teaching my clients how to accept and receive safe touch through different exercises, engaging our, our breath work with, I work primarily with um, women. Uh, and so engaging our breath work with our pelvic floor, learning how to engage the pelvic floor into the breath work, which is a beautiful method for maintaining and establishing safety in the body. Um, and then also harnessing that sexual energy and power. So somatics is really saying that like yes my brain believes these ideas and i'll use our example right you said you grew up religious too coming out of religion i did so much therapy a lot of therapy for many years traditional therapy and i got to this point in my like mid-20s about six or seven years ago when i knew in my head that my beliefs had changed my beliefs had changed i no longer like believed in god i didn't believe in um, heaven or hell. I didn't believe in um, 
that sex outside of marriage was wrong, right? I knew of these things. But then when I was put into situations where my beliefs were tested, my body would go back into old trauma responses. So having sex, right? I would freeze nine times out of 10. I would freeze. I'd go into this freeze response um, or a fight response sometimes too. Of like, I don't want to do this. Get me out of here. Like run. And then also thinking about that as well, like within the body, when uh, people would talk about heaven or hell, or I'd maybe be like, I'm not the best driver. So I'd maybe get into like a little bit of like a scary driving situation and be like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. And my body would freak out and freeze. And so I had done all of this work in my brain to really change my belief systems, but my body was like not caught up at all. And so I was still living in this really disassociated state from my beliefs and then how it was actually playing out in my life. And so that's when I found somatics and somatics really saved my life. Like, I don't think I would be here without somatics because I think I would have just been, I think I would have given up and just been like, this is it for me. This feeling is it for me because I know these things, but honestly, my life isn't changing because I know these things. Like my life hasn't changed. I'm still sick. I'm still depressed. I'm still have riddling anxiety. I still have massive eating disordered issues. Like, all of these things. And it wasn't until I found somatics and really learned how to train my body to catch up with my mind that it actually started healing, that I actually started healing. There is a lot there (laughs) that we could talk about, but that's awesome. So did you go through somatic healing and like coaching therapy? Did you actually have somebody to help you through or did you kind of figure it out within the learning journey as you just, I mean, did you kind of have to self-teach it or did you have a coach? Did you have a guide? Yeah. So both, both. And this is, you know, six or seven years ago, somatics Mm -hmm. wasn't really on the scene and not a lot of sexual healing was either. Mm -hmm. And this is where I found a really big gap in traditional therapy. When I was working through this sexual trauma, sexual repression, anytime I'd bring it up with therapists, they would like freeze and they wouldn't know how to talk to this, like anything based in sexuality with me. There was a huge gap. And Did you so, buy specific sex therapists? Yeah. And yeah. so the thing that you find with yeah. a lot of sex therapists is that, okay, so this is a little rundown in the medical, the mental health field. And this is what I learned when I decided to go back to school. Traditional therapists and counselors have no requirements for any sex education in their curriculum in the U.S. So, which is scary, mm-hmm. like when you think about it, because sex is a huge part of who we are as people. And so much of our trauma and so much of where our initial wounding starts is within sex and sexuality, right? Not having mm-hmm. expressions, not being able to use the right terminologies for our bodies, not being able to understand no and consent. So much of that starts at a young age. So when you go to see a sex therapist, they're actually a PhD. You have to have a PhD to become a sex therapist. And sex therapists are typically um, very diagnostic based. So you'll go to a sex therapist and they're like, oh, you have a, you have thyroid issues. Or, oh, you have ED, here's some Viagra. So it's much more like diagnostic in Western medicine. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find sex therapists that stay kind of true to the holistic and the body can heal. Um, yeah, so that's kind of why I asked. I wanted to specify because the more I've gotten into the community, like I had this idea of what sex therapists would be like. And then the more I actually learn about it and talk to people, like, 
the more of that I hear and the more bad experiences with that I hear. And I'm like, oh, that's that's so disappointing because that's who any normal person is going to go to for this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge step. And so you take that huge leap and then you get that bad experience. And that's just like digging an even bigger hole. It's so bad. So that's why I wanted to specify like sex therapist from therapist for people. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing up. But I think it's so important. I actually taught a class and I have it, uh, the recording of it on my website. It's like an eight hour class on sex uh, sex ed for therapists, because I'm like, I'm so passionate about therapists getting sex education. Um, and so, God, but you know what, do you want to know the crazy thing? This is like, this led me to so many tears in the court as I was creating this course, reaching out to all of these different therapy practices. I was reaching out to therapy groups and I was like, I'm teaching this course. I'd love for you to join. I'll give you a, a huge discount if the whole cohort joins. Right. I was giving them like I think it was like, it's over eight hours of training for like $200, like, and it was live. So like crazy. Cause I'm just like, I want this in front of people. This is so important. And so many of them said, this is not a priority in our training. Almost Sad. every single therapeutic practice. And that broke my heart. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. there is so much shame in the therapeutic community regarding sex because so many of those people have not worked through their own relationship with sex or to sex I feel like it's such a bigger problem here too in in the states like here it's like oh we have to joke about it if we're gonna talk about it and like it's hard to get into an actual conversation totally and it goes back to this like huge moral panic around sex mm -hmm. in the U.S. there's like such a moral panic about anything revolving around sex and sexuality because even if people didn't grow up identifying as Christian or Catholic our country is heavily based in Christian and Catholicism so even if you grew up in a very liberal family everything around us in our country is based in religion and so it's hard to escape it right and if yeah. you think about this big picture that sex education is not only lacking in in schools but it's lacking all the way up into higher ed like mm -hmm. when you think about that there's such a moral panic even higher ed won't teach sex education to people who are going to be working with people's bodies and minds and it's and it's not even getting any better and i don't want to go on a political rant right now mm -hmm. but i'm down in florida where they literally just passed something that uh, people are calling don't say gay and teachers in the younger grades are not allowed to say gay in a school anymore. No, and it, But the sad thing is, is like, right, it all goes back to this moral panic. It's not based mm -hmm. in actually wanting to help children. It's based yeah. in moral panic. Because if we actually cared about children and their minds and their development, we would believe in education and we'd believe in proper education. And proper education has like there's so many studies around the importance of using correct terminology especially with children like being like this is a vagina this is a vulva that's a penis those are testicles and like how much more those students and those kids grow up with a deep understanding and love for their bodies instead of when we're like that's your no-no zone oh, right that or that's, like, that's your pee pee right and so taking away this language and I know that that's a an anatomy and you were speaking to sexuality but I think they can go hand in hand in this case of the, oh yeah you know taking away someone's identity right mm -hmm. yeah it's so to have gay parents like it's not 
and to say in what you're saying to kids is like your parents identity is invalid your aunt's identity is invalid and then maybe your identity is invalid if they're if they are at a place where they believe that that's how they identify as well yeah it's super unfair and it's just putting people back a step it's just making them have more problems later on that they're gonna have to deal with and anybody who has started or gone through a healing process knows that like it takes a long time and it's never ending in many ways like you can get to a really healthy point and still go backwards 10 steps like in a blink of an eye and then have to like go through it again and the better you learn how to do that the easier it gets but that doesn't mean that you're ever fully better and Mm -hmm. it's frustrating to know that these things that happen to you at like or things that were held back from you like just normal sex education when you were a kid could have helped so much and kept that from you so yeah this is a great this is a great time to talk about like that religious upbringing and background And the biggest question I have for you on this is not so much to just talk about it, but to talk about the idea that maybe somebody could stay religious and get to a healthy sexual point. And this is something that I want, I want to talk with somebody else about because I've struggled with this topic myself with just wondering if it's a personal bias, because for me, that's not the way my journey looked. I'm definitely very much agnostic now. And personally, I believe, and this could be completely false, but personally, I want to believe that I don't really think you can get to a super healthy sexual spot and stay super religious. So I really want to hear like other perspectives and bring in other people's opinions and maybe kind of think about that thought process myself a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's such a great question, Ellie, and I'm so glad you brought it up. So a little bit of my journey looked like I finally, and I'm not sure if this was the similar for you, but I kind of started leaving religion around age 20 and finally was done with it, like done, done, like three years later, probably like 22, 23, because it takes a long time to start unwrapping that, especially when you've been like living with this if you're not a Christian, you're going to go to hell. Like that takes a long time to like unravel that and say like, I don't believe in hell. And so I went from that to atheist. I was like, nothing exists. Like there's nothing, there's nothingness. And then in the last like two to three years, I'd say I've kind of found myself on like this spiritual journey. And the thing I love about this journey is that I get to decide what resonates with me. And at the end of the day, like my belief systems, right. If I love, playing and pulling tarot cards that and I and at the end of the day we we wake up and we die and we're in heaven or hell (laughs) or whatever it is my tarot cards and the being that is or is not is like those weren't real it's not really gonna affect me like it doesn't really matter like so I take my spirituality practice now as this thing that like I do things that make me feel good and at the end of the day if they're stripped away from me they're not my identity So that's kind of where I'm at. Like my spiritual practices are definitely more self-care practices and things that make me feel somewhat a sense of safety, I would say, because there's, I think that's why people hold on to religion for so long, believing that there's this big higher power. There's a sense of safety, right? That there's something omnipresent that's controlling, right? And so these spiritual practices for me have been that, but And I I wanted to explain that before I kind of answered the question. And the question, I think, is brilliant. And 
I don't know if it's possible. It's hard. <laughs> it's like really, really hard. I don't I don't think you can be involved in modern Christianity, white mm-hmm. evangelical Christianity and have a healthy relationship with sexuality. I don't. The difficult part about it for me is so many people want both and I think that there are a lot of good things that can be found within religion, even Christianity. There's a lot of bad. I'm not saying it's good. There's a lot of bad, but there are good parts to it and good elements that people, people go to it for good reasons, right? And I think that if you're willing to open it up, then that's an entirely different story. But some people I have found, they really just want to hold on to it the way they have it, and yet they know that there's this problem. And they know they want to fix it to be happy and to like feel whole again. And that's just a really difficult thing for me to see and kind of approach even just in like a conversation with a friend because I don't want to like attack a belief system that they're not there yet with like willing to open it up. I think the thing is too, right? There's a lot of people out there who are like, look, I can be a Christian and sex positive. And I, this is, this is my idea when I hear people say that is in order to be sex positive, like truly sex positive, you have to have deconstructed patriarchy. How can you deconstruct patriarchy if you are involved in a heavily patriarchal religion that relies on oppression of women and people of color? And I, if someone can explain to me how they can do that, I would be all ears, but <laughs> I don't know that you can. I was put into so many different long dress code talks about modesty. So it's from one thing to the next. It's purity. It's modesty. It's all the way up. And until you can prove to me that Christianity and the Bible is not putting women down, I don't think you can have a super healthy sexuality and remain super Christian. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. You could deconstruct a lot of the Bible, right? And maybe call yourself Mm -hmm. still a Christian because at the root of the Bible, what like Jesus was a socialist and there's, and it was all about love (laughs) really. Like the majority of Jesus's teachings were about like love everyone. Everyone deserves love. Everyone deserves equality. And then So I guess you could take some of those and use that, but modern day Christianity is so politicized and specifically politicized Mm -hmm. around women's bodies and Mm -hmm. people's um, sexuality. And I can't, I could never go back to religion, especially Christianity, because I believe that it holds people captive and there's no freedom available and freedom is something we all deserve. Yeah, no, that's huge. And that was a big, big point for me in my deconstruction process, too, was like feeling trapped and feeling like I needed to get out of of that feeling. Yeah. All right. So the shame cycles that we are taught and that kind of get ingrained, regardless of if they're specifically taught to us, the kind of ones we fall into from that kind of upbringing I'm curious if you have some tips that people can use to kind of start their own process of breaking away from those. Mm, Yeah, God. I think the biggest thing that you have to do is actually recognize your belief systems. Like, 
what are I have I have my crisis like what are the stories you are telling yourself either write them down for me writing is my favorite process and that's mm-hmm. how I've done a lot of my healing and it's a somatic process right if you're just thinking in your mind you're also staying up here when you're writing you're getting your body involved and you're actually processing it in a different way so writing is a great somatic process and writing down like what are the beliefs I actually have around sex and sexuality what are the beliefs I actually have around my own body And when you write them down and you see them in front of yourself, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize this was living in my brain. I didn't realize that all of these internalized thoughts were living in here. So you have to recognize them first and really almost isolate the thoughts into this is what's coming up for me. And then you can start tackling them thought by thought, process by process, right? And really understanding this is what I would, what I did when I was going through my journey and what I have my clients do is like, is this a thought or belief system that is actually true for me? Or is this something someone taught me that I've adopted as my own? Mm-hmm. And you might say like, no, I actually really believe this one for me. Like I actually really believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Like, okay, if you really believe that, like, that's fine. Right. But do you really believe that modesty is the only thing that keeps you pure and like that it is necessary or is that something someone taught you right and really isolating these beliefs what is mine and what is something that I have been taught is a belief system I have to have and once you isolate these beliefs and start really challenging them on your own you can start to walk through your new belief systems right and so the first thing is to do is to get, or the second thing to do that is to get to these new belief systems. What are my new belief systems around this? And if anyone's listening to this and you're like in the process of deconstructing, I'm just going to tell you it's a long journey because like I've been deconstructing for 10 years now, 11 years, and I'm still deconstructing things. Like two years ago, I just decided I was like, I'm going to deconstruct my ideas around monogamy. Currently, I'm deconstructing ideas around fat phobia and the presence of fat bodied people and my own fears of being large and being a woman, right? So, cause this Christianity stuff and and I will say, and not even just Christianity, high control religion, cause they all end up being similar in mind thoughts. Mm-hmm. It goes really deep. So this deconstruction process is gonna be something that you're continually re-arriving at of like, what is something else I need to deconstruct? So if you're starting with sex and sexuality, really decide, determining what what do you want your worldview to look like what do you want this to be do I want to have sex with everyone I meet or do I want to have boundaries set in place and there's not a right or wrong answer I think that's the other thing too is when you're coming out of high control religions you're so used to this binary it's either good or bad right or wrong and the biggest thing to realize is that there is no good or bad right there is no necessarily right or wrong it's what feels good for me does what feel good for you hurt other people. No? Okay, then you can have that belief system. Like mm-hmm. and so really taking away these binaries and coming to this realization which is probably the scariest realization coming out of high control religion is that nothing's binary and everything could be in this gray area. Mhm. And so and- yeah. <laughs> the first step I would say in working through the shame is really working through your belief systems. What am I leaving behind? What am I taking forward? Yeah, no, I like that. And I like that it starts with just kind of diving deep into it kind of having to realize like 
you have to take responsibility for yourself a little bit too because it went, I mean, it was huge. One of the first things for me was just realizing that I had to kind of be my own person. And at the same time, I started to really deconstruct. I also had like a falling out with my best friend at the time. And so all like these things kind of hit at the same time of, oh, I've been kind of been modeling who I am based on the people around me. And I was like 16 mm -hmm. at the time. But it was a it was a chance for me to entirely recreate and like figure out who I am and what I believe all like at the same time. And it took a long time. But I realized all at once that I hadn't really fully thought about what I believe and like what that means for the people around me, as well as for myself. And it was like huge. And as well as deconstructing religion and everything and it seemed separate but really they're all in intertwined right because like yeah. everything impacts everything else in your life right when we think about the christian church what do we like the evangelical christian church it's white able-bodied mm -hmm. cis hetero predominantly male right that's mm -hmm. a lot to deconstruct yeah yeah uh, and i mean it, it even like tied into different moral structures in my life like do I really want to be eating animals so then I went vegetarian like it, it really impacted everything in in my life when I started to do that and I started to think about all these different ways that I had just been kind of accepting what I had been told and like what other people around me were doing and it doesn't have to just be sex and sexuality it can be everything and everything ties together and it's just like mind-blowing totally. like and it's also kind of scary yeah and I would say that this is like the big reason also why I run women's group coaching programs because there's so much power in de-shamifying when you are with a group of women who is authentically invulnerable who are all authentically and vulnerably sharing their experiences there's mm -hmm. so much healing available in that and so whether that looks like a group coaching program or maybe just a women's circle or whatever it is like spend time with women who are also on this path and that will help move so much shame out of your life as well absolutely so I did want to ask you how you got into the sexual wellness scene like where where did it start for you like what was the push that actually made you want to become a coach rather than just you know embracing the beautiful things that came with learning all the somatic things yeah, so I think, gosh, it's so, there were so many levels of it, kind of like leaving religion too. There were so many levels. So I applied to go back to grad school. I was like, I want to be a therapist. In my application process, learned the lack of sex education within therapy. And then also mm -hmm. learned that if I wanted to be a sex therapist, I would have to go to get a PhD and on top of that, it would be much more diagnostic instead of holistic. Um, at least my training would be. I do know really incredible sex therapists who are holistic practitioners. Um, Dr. Kate Bellistry is one of them, and her and I work together sometimes. But it is hard to, to do once you have that much training focused on problems within the body instead of holistically using the body to heal. It's hard to go back. So I realized I didn't want to do that. And I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And so then I was like, what did I need that I didn't have? 
I don't want this healing process of sex, like sexual reclamation and healing to take every woman 10 years like it did me. We don't like, I don't want women to spend 10 years doing this. How can I help women do this in three to four months? Like, right. And take, you know, what you and I have talked about seven years, 10 years, what I've talked to women about who are like 20 years, right? We shouldn't be spending this much time of our precious lives trying to work through this much shit. So I was like, what can I do? So I went back to the Somatica. I went to the Somatica Institute and I studied somatics and their somatics is specific to sex and intimacy. And so I was certified in their methodology. And then since then, I've done a lot of different programs. I've studied under Emily Nagowski, who's the author of Come As You Are, Esther Perel, um, Dr. Tammy Nelson, Dr. Sue Johnson. I've studied under the Gottman Institute. And so it's interesting because I am a forever learner and I love learning. So this is all fun for me. But because I have done all of these different aspects, that's where like the sex education piece comes in. And that's where the work I do is different than a lot of others because I have the somatics, but I also have this deep understanding of sex education and sexual wellness. And even I have certificates from the Kinsey Institute as well, which is the number one sex research institute in the world. Um, and so having this is really helpful because now I'm able to provide what was missing so often. And what I talk to clients is that is missing within therapeutic practices, which is this idea of sexual healing is essential. And my belief is that if you want holistic healing, you start with sexuality and you move outwards. It's like almost like you started this, this inner peace and it like shines everywhere else. I don't believe you can have true healing if you're not dealing with your sexual healing. It's such a big deal. I mean, like you can't fully know who you are and you can't fully like connect with other people and like it impacts your friendships, any type of relationship that you have. And it's just like a really, really sad thing to me for such a giant group of people to have to suppress this like fundamental part of being alive yeah I don't think you can ever re like truly be authentic too if you mm -hmm. aren't authentic in your sexuality like that's where learning who you are authentically starts like if you want to live an authentic life learn how to work within your sexuality and heal your sexual self like like even this example right it's and this is what I will tell clients like if you learn how to advocate for your needs and your desires in the bedroom like one of the hardest places, right? In our in our naked bodies, in our deep intimacy, in our rawest form, how fucking easy is it gonna be for you to advocate with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers? How fucking easy is it gonna be for you to decide like this is what I desire and what I need? Because you've done it at the most intimate, most raw level of who you are as a person. When you get it on that deep of a level, everything else the doors are open and it's wide. All right. Let us bring it back to a lighter note. <laughs> um, again, thank you for coming on here and doing all of this. Now, I did have a question for you that is kind of a lighter, more fun question. Yeah. If you are willing to, to share, I always like to ask people like questions about sex toys or anything like that. And the one I thought of, today which I was actually pretty 
proud of myself for this question because I think it's funny. What is the most awkward sexual situation that you've been in? Oh my gosh. I know I was thinking about this and I was like, what is the most awkward sexual situation I've been in? I think uh, it's been a long time, I think, since I've had awkward sexual situations. Because <laughs> That's great. I feel like if they have happened, I've been with people who it's just like we kind of laugh about it and move on, right? Like, you know, uh, but the most awkward sexual situation was when I was probably like 23 or 24 and I did not know how to talk about sex or how to advocate for myself. And I was with this guy. And he like motorboated my pussy and he was like, this is like, this is, and he just thought he was like doing the best thing in the world. He was like, doesn't this feel awesome? Everyone loves this. And I was like, oh my God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And I just kind of was like, brought his head back oh, up no. and I was like, we're good. We don't need to do that again. He's like, isn't that amazing? And I was like, no, you didn't even get close to my clitoris. Like you were just like moving your mouth around, like. And so that was probably like the most awkward. I think recently, oh, actually, you know, <laughs> I had a recent date with this person and he's like talking this big game on the date. He's like, I love eating pussy. It's my favorite thing to do, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great, let's test that theory. It's been a while, like, let's go. So I brought him back to my house and I was like, let's have sex. Oh my God, it was the worst oh, no. thing I've ever had in my life. And then- I was also he just doesn't he like he's in his 40s too and he's just like bragging about how much experience he has and how great it is and he like uses his thumb to finger me but uses it towards the back of my pelvis like towards my like anal canal and he's like digging out backwards and I was just like that's not where my g-spot is like and so I told him I was like do you know where my g-spot is and he was like yeah back here and I was like oh my god the lack of also just like Aww. and I was like no face your thumb the opposite way and do like come hither and also don't use your thumb use your two fingers and it was just terrible and I had to ended up giving him like sex education basically on the female body and anatomy and then I like sent him on his way and never saw him again <laughs> oh no that's sad it was um yeah, it was interesting. I think it's hard. I will say this, like before we close, it is really hard dating as a sex coach because yeah, I either get hypersexualized from my work. People are like, oh my God, you must be the freakiest, kinkiest, sexiest, best lay ever. And I'm like, I might be. It depends on what you like and what I like. And if we're into the same things and if we both want to experience sex in the same ways, and so getting hypersexualized is an issue or then also being incredibly feeling incredibly threatened in their manhood because of me. And this goes back to patriarchal standards, right? Men are taught that they should know everything about sex and they should be like the king mm -hmm. of sex. And when they don't, it's a threat to their masculinity. When they're with someone who studies sex for a living, it can feel like a big threat to their masculinity and into this, once again, it's patriarchal ideas, right? Because patriarchy harms women as much as it does men. This idea that I have to be the king and I have to know everything and I have to do it right, right? And if you, so that's like the two, twofold of dating as a sex coach is really hard. And I think people think that I probably have this like crazy, amazing sex dating life. And it's like, mm, it's, I would say it's average. <laughs> I I never slept with him, but I went out with a guy who I ended up spending maybe two to three hours on the couch with, 
just talking about because and I, he didn't even know that like I am this interested in sexual wellness in my in life like yeah. he didn't even know that but as we were talking and we just kept talking we were talking about relationships and communication and then we started talking about sexual communication and then I started and then he pulled up I don't know if you know bdsm.test.org Mm-hmm. yeah so he pulled up his results of that and then I, he started asking like what each of them were and so then I started like teaching him what a few of these things he had no idea what they were he's like yeah I just took this thing and I'm like well, you can click on them and then it'll describe what it is so I was <laughs> like you can do that that way and he started asking questions and then he started getting really like started to really sexualize me and then I just backed off but it was that same progression of he was like, oh, my gosh, if you know so much, you should be you're probably amazing. And, and that's not even I'm being a sex coach. That's just them hearing that I have not some knowledge about it and then I'm yeah. open to talking about it. I think that's a That's a big one, too, is even just being willing to talk about it yeah. somehow sexualizes you. It's crazy. It's crazy how deep it is. Right. And And it goes back to this idea that like women have been seen as commodities for so long right i'm a commodity commodity and especially when i talk about sex or you talk about sex it allows us it's they see us and they're like oh i can consume you then it's like i don't know if i want you to consume me right no (laughs) and so it's really it is it dating can be really difficult and so i've kind of gotten to this point where like most people just be like i'm a coach or a life coach and i own my own business and i'll just kind of start there and go from that because I just I don't have the time to deal with either men who want to me to be their free emotional labor like that guy who is like oh let me just use you to teach me all about it's like no bro fucking Mm -hmm. google it (laughs) or yeah these days it's not that hard to find out basic information like female anatomy right exactly So that hypersexualization is so real and it's so hard. And when I found men who don't hypersexualize me, it feels like such a gift mm. and also just like such a blessing, even if we're not sexually compatible or even if like I'm there, there's not that sexual or romantic interest. When I find men like that, I am so thankful for them because I'm not asking to be sexual my work is not asking me to be sexualized I have felt it and I'm not even there yet so I can only imagine bless you and thank you for kind of having to navigate that for everyone else you know like you're kind of taking that on in in what you do and yeah so if anyone in Denver goes on dates with men I've dated (laughs) and they use the information I've given them you are welcome uh as my last question do you want to tell people how they can find you how they can get your book um, consume all of the amazing information that you have to offer and potentially work with you yeah so my book is available on Amazon Um, if you're in Denver it's at some local bookstores and you can DM me and I'll tell you which ones Um, and then, and my book is really about, it's a memoir. So it's about growing up in religion and leaving religion. Um, and it really focuses on the sexual trauma within religion. Um, but if you want more about like my current work and how to heal and move past that, 
uh follow me on instagram i sometimes post on tiktok but tiktok is really shutting down sex educators which is a really another a whole other podcast for another day um and then also I work with clients one-on-one and I have a new program coming up in April that is called Partners Not Projects and it's teaching women how to stand in your power and your authentic self and desires and create um, room for you to attract people that can be partners in your life and stop taking the projects and trying to fix partners. I know people, I so I actually never really struggled with trying to fix partners myself but I know know people (laughs) but I know a lot of people who do that yeah who try to fix their partners well I started this was like an idea that came up two years ago uh, or three years ago when I wrote my book I went through a breakup literally this is the part of the book that is not told um and one day I'll write an addendum but Two weeks before my book came out, my boyfriend that I was living with broke up with me. And I was like convinced I was going to marry this person. We were talking about getting engaged that year. So it was like, a, it was a complete shock to say the least. So I'm going into my book release party. I'm fucking homeless, basically. I'm like living on a friend's couch. My stuff is in storage. I don't really know what is about to happen. And my dad looked at me and he goes, Rachel, you have always chosen projects you have always chosen people that you want to fix and that you think you can fix and it's time for you to start choosing partners and I was like oh shit you're right and so sorry (laughs) (laughs) and um he was like and so I, I've been writing this curriculum for about three years and I wasn't ready to release it because I was still working through my own tendencies of no more part, uh, projects. Um, and I created this curriculum specifically or the six week course specifically because I see so many women who have it fucking all together, right? I wrote a best-selling book while I was also trying to take care of and heal a man. And I see so many women that have it together in every area of their life. And then when it comes to their relationships, and I'm going to speak specifically for heterosexual relationships, because this is where I see it the most. They like find these men and they're like, I'm also going to try to fix you. And I'm going to deal with subpar behavior in a relationship. And so I want to help women get out of that and really stand in their authority authority and power in all aspects of their life not just their career or friendships or all of these other things like also in your love life like you deserve to stand strong and powerful and so many women are scared of that because they're scared that if they stand in this in their authority and their power in relationships with men that they will not be able to find love Mm -hmm. that's a huge topic to tackle yeah and that is going to be an amazing course just from talking to you uh you I mean all of your all of your stuff sounds awesome and you know what you're talking about it's very obvious and I'm sure people can't get enough so that's that's a huge topic to tackle and that's awesome that somebody has so especially somebody like you who's has all that knowledge and like good holistic like somatic approach as well as like the therapeutic side I I like that you combine everything knowledge and and breathing you know (laughs) like we can do both (laughs) yeah I'm excited for you when does that launch that launches in April in April that's exciting yes I'm so excited I'm finalizing the date it's going to launch and it's a six-week program 
Um, so it's we meet once a week for about an hour, hour and a half, depending on questions and conversations. And the last group that we went through, it was so powerful. There was almost every woman had these huge breakthroughs and transformations. And by the end, we're telling stories about like, look, I was able to have this conversation about sex with my husband that I was so scared to have, or I was able to really have a part, I was able to go on a date and, and see these are things I don't want and be able to walk away from that instead of like holding on because I want them to like me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing in dating. People forget that you also get to decide if you like the person. (laughs) It's not just them deciding if they like you. Well, well, it's crazy because a lot of people go into the initial couple dates, like so worried about them liking you. And then they get like five dates in and they realize they don't even (laughs) like that person. And it's like, (laughs) if you, if you would have like kind of, taken it down a little bit and stopped worrying about yourself so much you probably would have seen it earlier that you're just not compatible and now people are getting hurt worse than they needed to 100 percent yeah and so talk I mean yeah and one woman I think this really sent up the power of the course too this one woman who actually I've known her since I was in high school so if you read my book you will know a lot about my abusive relationship and everything she knew that person and we've kept in touch. So it was pretty cool to see her take this course. And she was like, I feel like I finally am confident in my own truth. And I've never been confident in my own truth before. And that is incredibly freeing and powerful. I imagine while your work is definitely not easy, it's super rewarding. And I'm really happy to see that you are thriving and having so much success and uh, I'm thank you so much for taking the time out of your day I I know it's past like our time so I don't want to keep you because I'm sure you're very busy but yes thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me thank you I really appreciated it that is all I have for you guys this week I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Rachel I hope that you will check her out more connect with her on social media and her website you can find the book that she wrote you can find all the courses she offers and you can find information about how to work with her one-on-one that will all be in the show notes as always share this episode with a friend who might enjoy it rate and review it if you are an apple listener subscribe so you never miss an episode and you guys i want to mention that i am posting episodes every other week now Uh, kind of slowing down a little bit but never fear I'm not going away I just have a lot going on in my life right now so for the time being it is every other week but definitely follow on social media at sugarpusspod and subscribe so that way you get a little notification when an episode gets posted all right you guys that does it I again hope you enjoyed this interview this conversation with Rachel let me know if you guys have suggestions for anybody you'd like to have on the show let me know if you have topic suggestions or questions for me I always want to hear anything that you have to say to comment or to suggest thank you so much for tuning in I am your host Ellie Ray 